Hi there and welcome to another podcast from the 2021 Noosa meeting of the ANZICS Clinical Trials Group. Joining me today is David Tuxon. David has been a leading light in the critical care world for over 30 years as a past director of the ICU at the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne and as a researcher in his area of passion, mechanical ventilation. He joins me today to discuss the problems with using mortality as an endpoint in ventilation trials, an issue he highlighted in a presentation at the recent conference. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. David, at the Noosa conference, you gave a presentation on the issues that you see with using mortality as a primary outcome for ventilation trials. Can you explain what issues you see? Yes, there's a number of issues underlying this. Um, Part of it was um, unhappiness with the way our previous trial uh, was interpreted um, using using mortality as a primary outcome. But... um, As well as having a problem with that, um, I think it's going to be a problem going forwards um, with any further trials that are going to be done in mechanical ventilation. And the main reason for that, um, put simply, is that um, we 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 introduced two different ventilation strategies, one of which we hope will be better than the standard ventilation, which results in a difference um, if it's working, a difference in outcome. And that difference in outcome is expressed by less failures of the ventilation strategy in the, um, in the treatment group and um, eventually less death. Now, of course, that's exactly what we want. But that also means that to have that outcome, you've got to have more failures of treatment in the uh, control group and more deaths. And, of course, we do everything to prevent failures and deaths. So when a treatment strategy isn't working then we put in place a whole lot of other measures um, to help patients who have failure and to um, reduce their death rate. And that, again, is all very reasonable. But the trouble is that um, we put in very effective measures, and I'll go through what they are shortly, but that um, improves people's um, uh, status when they are having a when their mechanical ventilation is failing, and reduces their death rate. And so, at the end of the trial, which is based on mortality, we say, "Oh, gee, look, we did a few extra rescues, we did a few extra, uh, but there was no difference in death rate. So clearly, this new strategy isn't uh, working, and therefore we can't recommend its use." Now, I think that's a completely erroneous interpretation, which means because we've um, we risk throwing out the door a ventilation technique that's worked well and um, because we have a primary outcome that is mortality and we've changed the mortality by doing a whole lot of extra things uh, in the other group. So that's basically the the guts of the treatment. That's why I don't think that we can use mortality as a primary outcome in ventilation trials in countries where all the rescues that I will describe shortly are are widely used. So what are some of those rescue therapies that you're mentioning there? Well, there's um, probably three categories of them. The, the, the most common category is, of course, doing other things that can help oxygenation, like nitric oxide or prostacyclin, um, which doesn't hasn't been shown to improve outcome but does result in you needing less ECMO, and doing prone ventilation, which has been improved shown to improve outcome. So basically, you're trying two ventilation techniques, and then when one's not working, you're doing a whole lot of other things that you know will 
work and changing the outcome, but concluding that the treatment that isn't working, concluding it's not working. The second thing we do, and we did in this last trial, is that we swap people over from the control group to the treatment group. We say, oh, they're going badly. Gee, we better put them in the treatment group in case they survive better, which is, of course, completely undermining shooting the trial in the foot. We say, oh, yeah, we had a few trial defaults, but basically there was no difference in survival, so therefore it doesn't work. Whereas, in fact, swapping over to the treatment group might well have increased the survival and demonstrated that you've actually got a treatment working. And the third main category is, is ECMO, heart-lung bypass. And that means that um, the mechanical ventilation strategy you're using has totally failed and you're having to do something which means you don't need a ventilator at all. And then we say, oh, well, and that's a major invasive uh, specialist technique, uh, not available in, in every country in the world in a, in an easy manner. But um, we then say, oh, gee, well, we had to use a bit more ECMO, but there was no difference in death rate, so therefore the treatment strategy didn't work. And I think it's completely faulty, erroneous logic, but unfortunately, um, when we did our last trial, that was the way it was interpreted, uh, and um, the recommendation out of a paper where I believe the treatment actually worked uh, was that there was no value from the treatment. David, in your presentation at yep. NUSA, you suggested some alternative outcomes that might overcome this limitation with mortality as an endpoint. Yes, I did. I think you need to not have mortality alone. You've got to, you, you, that will destine you to have a failed trial if you're going to use those three things that we just that I just mentioned. You need to include um, not just death, but also failure of the treatment strategy um, that you define before you do it. And the most obvious failure is needing ECMO. The second most obvious failure is crossing over to the trial, uh, to the trial strategy. And the third is use of rescues. And you can use any one of those three combinations. So I, I propose that we should use ECMO-free survival in other words, you've got to survive without ECMO. And I propose that we use rescue-free survival. And uh, you could also use crossover-free survival if you wanted to. But crossover meaning going from the control group to the treatment group. Because those um, take note of the, um, of the three strategies that we do that actually change the outcome of the ventilation strategy that was the in the control group. Do these um, endpoints yeah. also include mortality? In other words, are they composite outcomes? Yeah, they are a composite outcome because a, a simple outcome will not um, identify the best treatment strategy, the way it's interpreted. Now, composite outcomes, um, and the criticism was raised at the trial, and a very valid one, is they're not patient-centred outcomes and um, not patient focus. It should be mortality and quality of life at six months. And I agree that those are certainly very important outcomes. But in asking that question, um, those who asked the question missed the point of the talk. And that fundamentally is, yes, they're important outcomes, but if you use those outcomes, you won't discriminate between a good and a bad ventilation strategy. It's that simple. Because doing all the extra rescues in a control group, you, you immediately nullify your, your result and make a, a, a conclusion that what, you, what was working is, doesn't work. 
What are some of the limitations of using this approach? Well, um, I guess the limitations are what we have said, and that is um, that, you know, it's not a patient-focused outcome, although it really does recognise a treatment strategy that's using better, that as a clinician, you would want to choose a strategy that works better and doesn't need a whole lot of rescues and a whole lot of other things. Um, but So that's its main um, limitation. But that is likely to get you a trial result with smaller patient numbers, which is of value. Now, of course, um, people have said, well, you might just say, gee, there was no difference in death, but um, a whole lot of there was significantly less rescues needed in in the nutrient control group. So therefore, you can conclude that it works. But in fact, a trial that had exactly that outcome concluded that there was no benefit. So even though they'd shown um, reduced rescues and therefore suggesting an improved treatment strategy, the conclusion of the authors, whose primary outcome was based on mortality, said there was no, there was no, and I was one of the authors. Um, but the, the conclusion of that trial was that there was no improvement in outcome. So um, I guess I'm arguing in favour of it, not, not speaking as a limitation. Um, and the other limitation is, of course, that you might have a non-significant improvement in mortality and a non-significant reduction in rescues, but um, neither is significant. But if you combine the two, then you do find that there is a significant result. And... Uh, What's the limitation? Again, it's simply that it's you have to accept before you start that you are going to um, recognise a improved ventilation strategy without a primary uh, patient, you know, patient a purely patient focused outcome. It is, of course, patient focused, but it's not um, pure in that sense. David, if you've taken that approach to the FALAP trial, which I think is the one that you're referring to. Yes, I did. Yep. How would that have changed the way that um, you would have written the conclusion to that paper? Well, the FALAP trial was going very well, but it was stopped prematurely because of the ART trial, which was primarily based in Brazil, which showed um, a worse outcome with a similar treatment strategy. And nobody knew at the time how similar the treatment strategy was or whether it was similar or not. And so um, we didn't get a chance to complete our trial. So the ART trial, um, which um, I've subsequently looked at, has a number of flaws that could easily have caused a, brood, a bad outcome. And it's in the opposite direction of all the other recruitment trials, all of which have shown subclinical benefit and have shown benefit in... Um, meta-analysis, not, not counting the ART trial. So, um, so it was stopped prematurely. So if our trial had continued, we might have had a different result. But based purely on our trial, there were significant reductions in the use of ECMO and in the use of other rescues. And that alone should have concluded that, or that there was no difference in mortality, but there was a benefit in reduced use of rescues. And it didn't conclude that. The second point was when I did the surrogate outcomes and I analysed two of them, one was ECMO-free survival and the other was 
uh, rescue free survival, it was not significant, but it was a, a, a fairly strong trend towards significant with a p-value of 0 .0, 0.07 for both of those. So as you know, everything lives or dies on 0.05, but it's never that clear clinically. But um, so who knows if the trial had gone further, whether those values would have become significant or whether they wouldn't have, I don't know. And I'm not going to claim that if the trial had been bigger, they would have become significant because that, you know, that's, you can't claim that. So there was a trend on both those variables I proposed, which didn't quite reach significance. David, presumably this also applies to other areas of research in healthcare, for example, surgery versus no surgery, where there's the potential for crossover or rescue therapy. Yes, I haven't considered it in other areas. It's, it's generally a good outcome in most clinical trials that we do, um, where but I think when you have a whole lot of rescues, and certainly we have a whole lot of rescues in mechanical ventilation, or in any trial where there's a whole lot of other things you're going to do when things go badly, uh, if you don't take account of that in the start, then it can easily uh, undermine your trial result. Unfortunately, I can't think of examples, but you're saying no surgery and then, oh, gee, um, you know, we'll do surgery later on. Well, that should be counted as a failure uh, but often in the trial setup, you say, oh, we'll just look at the death rate. We won't worry about, um, you know, we won't worry about, or we'll look at some other outcome. We won't worry about failures and late treatment. But that should be a failure of the, of the primary treatment strategy if, you, if you're basically crossing over to the other group. David, recently we've seen a lot of focus on um, composite outcomes such as ventilator-free days. How does yes. this type of approach match with, with that sort of uh, outcome? Sure. Look, um, ventilator-free days is a benefit to the patient, uh, and it's often used in trials where you, you can't get big enough numbers so you can show a benefit, but you can't get big enough numbers to show mortality because that's a big um, problem with trials. And certainly um, in our FARLAP trial, we had trouble recruiting patients because ARDS, um, we find, is becoming, as our general treatment strategies become better and better, um, and we treat people earlier, uh, we're getting less and less uh, ARDS. It's harder to find. So um, I think, you know, that those, those outcomes are of value. Ventilation-free days, um, I guess I would rather have... Um, as a clinician, a rescue-free uh, survival than being short of time on the ventilator. Although short of time on the ventilator is a benefit to the patient because they have less weakness down the track, and, or we, we believe they will, and of course it's, uh, their health care is less expensive. Uh, so I guess it is a benefit in its own right. Um, it's always difficult to weigh up uh, the value of surrogate outcomes um, versus just pure death rate. But um, they, are, they do represent, in my mind, patient benefits. David, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast and sharing your insights into this important issue. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. For more great interviews just like this, visit our website at oslocommunity.com.